Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Blokeology, evidence-based health, fitness and lifestyle. My name is Dr. Ewan Lawson and on this episode I am very happy to have a chat to Professor Adam Taylor who's an anatomist at Lancaster Medical School. So we had a really good chat about anatomy and just how important it still is as a science. I think there's a very easy to think of anatomy as being something about which we know everything and there's nothing more to learn. Um, And that very much turns out to be not the case. There's lots of research going on. Our bodies are still changing. And as Adam points out in the podcast, there's 7 billion odd people on the planet and we're pretty much uh, none of us the same. So it's an incredible topic, really fascinating. It's got a rich history as well. And we talk a little bit about that. One of the big areas we get into is talking about the public understanding of anatomy. And although it might be something we think everybody knows about, actually some of the research that Adam has been doing has very much shown that there are still huge gaps in the knowledge. And obviously when it comes to talking about our health, if we can't locate the major organs in the body, then we're not going to find it that easy to have conversations with each other about what's going on. So uh, that's coming up in just a moment. Um, I just want to thank everybody, of course, for all the support as per usual. Um, So we're now falling into a regular pattern of the Journal of Blokeology newsletter going out one Friday and the podcast coming out on the next Friday. The last newsletter went out last Friday. Um, I think I talked a little bit about air pollution, which is a difficult health topic. And the reason I wanted to mention it was because uh, it, it has just an incredible impact. And I'm, I was slightly embarrassed and shocked to realize as a doctor how little I had appreciated the impact in terms of deaths and premature mortality. And there have been studies coming out showing that the little microparticles, the nanoparticles that um, we breathe in are um, that are in the air are getting into our systems. They're going all through our bodies. They're finding them in our hearts, in our brains. And so it's not just a question of them causing lung disease, but they're also possibly contributing to problems like dementia, cardiovascular disease. So it's an enormous topic um, and one that I've been sadly a little bit neglectful about. Um, so I just want to highlight that as it's kind of, it fits with my sort of blokeology ethos and thinking that it's just about trying to get evidence, challenge my own preconceptions. Um, and I hope uh, some of the interviews and the podcast episodes and the newsletters that I try and bring you and um, do that for you as well. Um, so if you're interested in the newsletter, head over to blokeology.io forward slash journal and you can sign up for that, of course. But um, in the meantime, um, let's get back to chatting to Adam. Um, so the first thing I just wanted to ask Adam was to tell us a little bit about his background and how he got into anatomy. So so my background, uh, I I was an undergraduate, actually. I've, I've always had an interest in anatomy in terms of um in terms of growing up as a as a kid, you know, sports play. I played a lot of contact sports, non-contact sports, and I was always interested in how the body, you know, copes with the stresses and strains we put it into, put through it, put into it, and then seeing, you know, colleagues breaking bones playing rugby and football and things like that. Um, so I was always interested in going through school, and I actually excelled in in biology. Um, exams particularly around the human stuff never so well on anything that was green you know plant biology wasn't really for me and so when the choice came to go to university I decided uh, to just do a course that was interested in interested to me and so I, I headed off to Liverpool to do a BSc in uh, human anatomy and cell biology um, which is still running today and then 
Uh, so as part of that, it's uh, it's you know there's all sorts of anatomy. There's human anatomy, there's comparative anatomy, and then there's you know kind of basic principles of biochemistry, physiology modules underpinning it. Uh, and then we do an honors project uh, towards the end of that. And my honors project uh, was actually based in the research lab. Uh, and when I finished uh, doing that, the the gentleman who's actually the professor of anatomy at Liverpool offered me the opportunity to do a PhD following on from the honors project I'd done. And you know, being young and 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 I decided actually I wanted to go away and go traveling. Uh, so I went to the States to play rugby for the summer. And uh, when I came back, uh, when I was away, my one of my family members said, you know, why would you not want to do another another three or four years as a student? So um, I contacted my previous lab supervisor and said, you know, if that PhD position is still going, I'd be I'd be very keen to to, to continue uh, the research arm of it. Uh, and so I, I went back to Liverpool and, and alongside my research project, they uh, actually give you the opportunity to do some anatomy demonstrating uh you know doing teaching in the in the anatomy resource center there to medics dentists uh dental dental students uh occupational therapists radiographers you know all the kind of allied health professions and uh and so i i really got into anatomy out of interest but then you know i kind of got hooked on being able to teach people carry on learning about the body and you know as as, as you you well know when you go into medicine and allied health it's kind of a lifelong educational journey and that's the beauty of anatomy you know no two no two bodies or no two parts of the body are ever the same between two people so there's always differences to look out for so so that kind of underpins you know my interest in anatomy and how i i would say i really stumbled into it <laughs> well lots of us have got careers we just stumbled into i think and um they're no less satisfying as a result there's a there's a lots of interest you know you're obviously a prof of anatomy here at lancaster medical school now um and we're going to talk a little bit about public understanding of anatomy and how that people should in a, in a little bit I guess I kind of I wanted to delve into a couple of little things. Did you when you went to Liverpool? Did you do um, was it dissection and cadaver dissection that you did when you were there? Yes. Yeah, so uh, the course I undertook, I mean, that was one of the things that attract was attractive to me at the time was being able to do cadaveric dissection, and, and it is very, it is very, or it was then. I certainly can't speak for for how it's evolved now, not being involved in it, but it certainly was then very heavily um, cadaveric uh, dissection based uh, and supplemented by other other teaching modalities. Yeah. So I did I did that as well. So it fascinates me. There's a couple of things here that. First of all, it's a it's almost a strange thing to get into anatomy, isn't it? Because it's not like you do it at GCSE and you do it at A level. There's a little bit of biology goes into it, but in some ways, people might think of it as a kind of an old science, and we know all there is to know about the body. But that's obviously me being, you know, I know you're going to argue with me about that or tell set me straight is how it's going to be. So tell us a little bit about how anatomy where is where is it these days? We obviously know the major bits of the body, but sometimes there's an assumption we know everything there is to know. But tell us a little bit about the kind of the research that's going on to anatomy the research you were doing I mean, so yeah, the as you say, you know, anatomy's got a huge historical past, and I guess we might talk about, you know, that that shortly. But everybody thinks, uh, and quite wrongly, uh, that you know, anatomy, we know everything about there is to know about the body. And as I said before, you know, seven, over seven billion people on the planet, and no two people are identically the same. You know, whether you're thinking about what muscles or bones are there, and then how the course of different nerves and vessels, uh, you know, and the variations in those, there, there's always differences. But if you know, if I take you back to to a Earlier in the year, there was the, there was a study published um, detailing the, the the kind of resurgence in in the presence of a, a little bone in the back of the knee called the fabella, 
Um, and you know that they were the study was looking at sesamoid bones on the whole, and all the other sesamoid bones have either stayed the same in in in, in their occurrence or declined in their occurrence, but the fabella's coming back. And where we get things like this, little bits of variation, or we think we you know we 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 usually attribute it to being kind of idiopathic or you know uh, anatomical variation in its presence. Actually, because of the way we study anatomy and the way that you know the availability of dissection and 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 how it's regulated to make you know it's 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 taught differently it's researched differently nowadays and and these studies to look for things are are much less frequent and so when people now we've got the ability to to image inside the body go back and and, and look at various structures we begin to find that actually things are are forever changing and obviously the the environment that we interact with we're seeing uh, you know, we're seeing changes in the way that we, you, you know, the things like the knees and the wrists. You know, they're, they're evolving to cope with with our bipedalism, with our our diets, with the way we move around, the way that we interact. You know, everybody, everybody nowadays has got excellent dexterity because all they're ever doing is plugged into their smartphones but with that comes you know repetitive strain injury you know and we've gone from the kind of keyboard repetitive strain injury now to, to injuries in the thumb you know and, and we joke you know i've got emergency medic friends and they they keep saying seeing people who've obviously fallen asleep in bed with their ipad held above their face and then dropped it and broken their nose you know that's the next <laughs> repetitive strain injury that that you know loosely badged that, that comes up so i think you know anatomy being viewed as a, an old and dead subject is is is, is incorrect you know is incorrect and it, it's a disservice because i think there's 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 a, a an evolving environment that we live in and the body will evolve with that but also you know we we've moved away from the kind of study of anatomy in its purest and simplest terms you know everything is about molecular biology and genetics and gene editing or you know all all of those those subjects are extremely useful when it comes to thinking about increasing increasing people's uh, in pe- increasing people's lifespan and making sure they've got the best quality of life but i think you know there's a lot of anatomy out there that we don't we don't fully know about and and, and will evolve as you know the next 10 100,000 years uh, go by so the first thing i have to ask is what what was that bone at the back of the knee i hadn't even heard i've not even heard of it adam i had no idea it's the 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 fabella so um it's 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 kind of it depends depends where you where you get your sources from what i would recommend you you know and i can send you a link to it if you want to put the link out there as part of the podcast notes uh, um for the for the for, for the fabella it's a it's a sesamoid bone in running uh, behind in the close to the popliteal fossa in the back of the knee and um it's it's increasing in its presence and be you know people are postulating as to why this may be and there's some suggestion in the paper that it might be because of our you know increased size that it's 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 there to help help deal with the load across across the knee joint and you know the interesting thing about that study was they looked at the presence of all the other sesamoid bones that we find in the small tendons of the hands and the feet you know and they're not increasing in in their presence and it's it's really interesting um yeah it was it was on various news outlets you know it popped up as as, as it ever does on things like the bbc and cnn and you know all the global kind of media outlets is something of interest so so you know and anatomy is not as dead as some people would make you believe no definitely not we're all still alive and kicking and while we've still got bodies i'm sure there'll still be anatomy the um, one it reminds me of actually a viber cregan reed i'm not sure if you read his book called primate primate change primate change and he was on the podcast a few months ago and he talked a lot about, you know, I summarized it by saying modern life is rubbish. We There's this assumption that our bodies have got to about sort of 10, 12,000 years ago, agricultural revolution, and nothing has changed since. But his book's a really good expression of all the ways in which actually a lot of the diseases and disorders we have nowadays have been caused by the way that we now live our life compared to the hundreds of thousands of years 
before, since the agricultural revolution, since the industrial revolution. But there must be that must be one example of an anatomical change then that has happened. Is there any other anatomical changes that have sort of Europe? One of the things might be feet, I suppose. Wearing yeah, shoes. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert in the arches of the feet, but we know that, you know, we know that the the, the shape and and the the foot is highly varied depending on, you know, even when you look across across the globe at, at different populations and how they, you know, how they wear feet. And there was a whole thing, probably. I mean, you're quite heavy into your running, aren't you? You're a you're you're a keen runner. You know how how different types of footwear were better or worse for running. You know, and the the, the trainers or the sneakers that uh, we wear are, are not particularly supportive in terms of running and you know the, there's a whole there's a multi-million if not billion pound industry looking at how best to support the feet yeah. uh, you know and and there's you know there's little variations in in you know so one of the other things that we we talk about is in is uh, is a tendon in the forearm uh, called palmaris longus um so so go on have you got one or i haven't have not- got one no i'm evolutionarily more advanced adam there you go, mate. So, well, read what you want into this one. I've I've got one in my right wrist, but not one in my left wrist. So uh, you're hybrid. I don't know, but I guess for your readers, you know, if they're interested in this tendon, what you need to do is put your thumb and your ring finger together, and then bend your wrist towards you, and you're looking for a you're looking for a thin rope-like tendon running across your wrist into your forearm. And if it's if it's there, congratulations. Um, or maybe commiserations. I don't know. It depends how you look at it. But if it's there, you're you're said to be less evolutionary. You're less evolved than than your 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 predecessors in in evolution. As you know, we think that the that tendon is involved in grip strength and gripping things. So when we used to use uh, when we were brachiators and we used to swing through the trees, you know that would help us grip the branches better. But actually, studies suggest that by having or not having that tendon uh, in your arm, it makes no difference whatsoever in in your grip strength and and similarly there's one in the back of the calf uh, called plantaris um which is much harder to see you know there's no there's no test i can tell you to do to show that and obviously we don't want to go around kind of sticking scalpels in people looking for it but you can find it by ultrasound if you've got access to an ultrasound machine um you know that's similarly in the foot and again people think it links to when we used to pick things up with our feet so so those those kind of things are disappearing but as we see with the fabella there's you know there's things coming back um and it's it's about this you know interacting with this this environment that we that we exist in um, I've actually got it on my the blokeology page and the about me. I've got like a collection of random facts about me on the website there, and one of them is that I have no palmaris longus. Is one of my is my random facts because because obviously it's one of those things as a medical student you find out about relatively quickly when you're doing your anatomy in year one and year two, and um yeah quickly spotted I didn't have one of those. So thinking back to those days when I was in did anatomy, I did I did I dissected bodies as well, and it was a kind of a real rite of passage for many medical students. Though I think the quality of the anatomical learning was very debatable, and that's something that um, you might be aware of. Um, it's, but the thing is, it is bound up in this incredible history, doing anatomy and seeing the bodies there. And perhaps, perhaps most people might have in their mind Burke and Hare, the kind of, you know, stealing bodies. And I, I thought we'd just touch on the history briefly because it's such a kind of a rich, it is such a rich story with anatomy, isn't it? And a rich history that's there. Yeah, I mean, you know, you and I are both incredibly lucky to have have benefited 
from from dissection you know the, these individuals who donate their bodies to enable you know medical students and, and anatomists like ourselves to be able to learn from them and you know those bodies are, are an invaluable resource and uh, you know there's been programs on, on on the tv recently demonstrating the journey that these individuals take and how you know the students interact with those bodies and things and so you know the, the the thing to say initially is that it's a it's a valuable resource it's a gift that keeps on giving anybody that donates their body to medical science you know you it, it really is a it is a is a is a an, an immense uh, you know it's an immense donation and the benefit that the learning that you know one or more often six or a dozen students can have from that one body will save countless lives going forward but you're right you know when you look into the the history books there's you know some people say there's a dark history and and you know Burke and Hare for instance are, are certainly uh, you know are certainly um the, the names that pop up time and time again when we when we think about the the the, the checkered history that anatomy has but you know they're going back to to their existence and you know a long time before that anatomy as far as we know has been studied since about the 1600 you know 1600 bc with the with the egyptians you know the surgical texts back from 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 them from then and that you know they're very descriptive uh, but again they're, they're based on the the dissection of bodies so this has gone on for years and years and it was very much descriptive and you know if you go anybody that reads about it will find that actually factually they're about as inaccurate as they ever could be you know they're talking about you know all these vessels and you know everything including sweat blood tears semen you know all sorts of bodily fluids go back to the heart as a center point and and you know anatomy has been a very much a learning subject as we go forward um and then you know burke and Hare, uh, you know two um rather rather checkered gentlemen who you know were going around murdering people to 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 use their bodies and sell them to the surgeons and that's you know that in their their actions you know set in motion a series of events that would put in place the legislation that would ensure that the supply of, of, of bodies for the training of the surgeons um, was, was appropriately regulated. And, you know, we still uh, adhere to those regulations today. Oh, yeah, there's certainly very stringent regulations around that, isn't there? I know you have to obviously you have to deal with all the time. Yeah, you're absolutely right to draw attention to the wonderful gift. And I certainly didn't want to um, give the impression it wasn't valued of when people do donate their bodies to be postmortem, uh, to be cadaveric there for students i was i certainly i think it perhaps highlights our my you know when you first get presented with it it's quite overwhelming that initial feeling of seeing a a cadaver and having to work out how to start going about dissecting it it's a very it's something that's ingrained in our consciousness consciousness you use the phrase um, that kind of goes through the the pedagogical um, hierarchy, you know, a rite of passage, and you know it's built up as this massive thing for the wrong reasons because the your peers above you are like, oh, don't faint, don't you know, don't you know, the, don't you don't want to be seen as the one one person, but actually it's a rite of passage about interacting quite often for medical students and and, and allied health professions with their first ever patient, you know, and that's a rite of passage into learning about the other side, you know, the non medical sciences side of, of anatomy and medical education that, you know i think that you know that rite of passage is is appropriately used but probably has the wrong connotation on it yeah you're, you're absolutely right and that you you're, you're absolutely i think, think that's very you know um that's a great insight into it and as you say it's almost the first patient you meet but you know and yep. you have to think about that and we were you know instructed and you know it was rigorously enforced the respect for that individual as well 
was just you yep. know part and parcel in recognizing that, that was they were a human being and that we had to treat that with that amount of respect one i guess one of the rite of passage aspects and perhaps that does lead into some of these professions is that it'll have been the first time for almost all of us which is completely different to perhaps a few hundred years before or maybe a hundred years before that any of us will have seen a dead body of any variety and I, I think even now actually it's relatively unusual for people all go through all through their life would never actually come through never actually have contact with a dead body at all so it's there's almost a bit of a there's a, a there's a slight fear or stigma that perhaps is built up again in modern life around that yeah i mean you know we we absolutely as a medic as medical professionals you know you'll know that your your kind of goal in life is to is to ward off death or prevent death um you know there's there's a couple of professions where obviously you're lucky enough that you're actually increasing the population thinking about you know obstetrics and gynecology for instance but more often than not every profession is about warding off death and i think uh, you know from an educational point of view the the that first body that you see is 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 going to inform the way that you learn to deal with seeing dead bodies seeing death you know and if you work in trauma trauma or you know you're a first responder to a, a major accident actually you know the the circumstances are very different and it's about being building up that resilience and that ability to you know some of the students talk about getting your game face on in terms of dealing with death because you 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 go in there to do your medical professional work and then afterwards you know the the kind of grief and the whole situation hits you even though you may have no you know link to 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 the individual who's who's been injured or, or or deceased so you know i think anatomical teaching with 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 cadavers is 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 extremely useful not just for learning anatomy but also for learning those you know those those mental skills and those you know those non-medical science skills around empathy and and, and you know respect and, and all the things that we come to expect of modern medical professionals yeah so when i was a medical student back in the 90s I swing the lantern there the um, it was just we had this we had the um, cadavers and we had our books and absolutely pretty much nothing else now here yeah. at, here at lancaster where you look after anatomy teaching um we don't actually have cadavers but that's because there are a whole host of other ways of learning anatomy yeah. now and i thought we ought to ask just to give a few minutes to you know kind of the ways that i give a more modern way of teaching anatomy Sure. Yeah. 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 So as you say, you know, we don't do any cadaveric or dissection or we don't have any pro section pro material here. Um, and we, we use other things. I mean, I, I, this, the, you know, this is quite a polarizing discussion and, uh, you know, I, I'm of the, I'm of the, I'm, you know, my thoughts are that there's no right or wrong way to do it. And actually the more important thing is the quality of the person that's actually delivering it. You know, you can have access to all the resources in the world, but actually if you, you know, if you've got somebody who's not a particularly good educator, it makes learning extremely difficult. Whereas, you know, you can have an, you know, you can have an inspiring educator who's got very limited resources and, and they'll be able to teach anatomy. They'll be able to bring it to life and inspire people to learn. But in terms of the resources that we have, um, you know, the, I think back to, to my days in, you know, in the, in, with the, the aroma of fixative and, and all other things in, in kind of Eric dissection, you know, apologies to anybody who may be, may be eating over breakfast. If, you know, uh, listening over breakfast, uh, you know, those, those, those things were, were extremely useful what i wish i'd had at the time was actually a bit more time to become familiar with with anatomy because you're giving probably you this will resonate with you you know you're given a you're given a lab manual and it, it says right okay make a midline incision from the pubic symph 
as to the xiphoid process okay well you know there's no there's no indication how deep to stick the scalpel in you know and then when you get uh, two paragraphs down it actually says well you know make sure to preserve the you know the linear alba or the musculature of rectus abdominis or the you know the superficial or deep fascia and you're thinking oh my word what on earth is fascia what the hell does that look like <laughs> and and i often think that you know my school of thought is when we're learning anatomy would it be better to to give people context and anatomical learning and familiarity with all the structures and then give them the opportunity if they want to to go and do cadaveric dissection so that they can get that hands-on tactile uh you know three-dimensional um learning that doesn't come with with other resources and so thinking about other resources, as you said, you know, we don't we don't have cadaveric material here at Lancaster. What we do is we do a, a complement. You know, we have the standard um, plastic models. We've got uh, various resources for surface anatomical learning, but we're heavily investing in imaging um, as a as a means forward. And I always say, you know, unless you're going to be a pathologist or a surgeon, you're unlikely to look at the body through one of the holes that isn't already there. You know. <laughs> And so, and so it's more important to be able to work out what you're looking at from the surface or using x-rays, MR, CT, ultrasound, you know, PET, whatever, whatever the latest imaging modality is. And so we use a combination of um, surface anatomy, interactive teaching, uh, and then we've got technological advances. So here we use a lot of ultrasound teaching. We've got phantoms and we let the students scan each other um, so that, you know, they can build up that moving 3D picture. And then we've got things like the anatomage table um, that we use for, for teaching as well. And one of the beauties of, of the anatomage table uh, you know, when you're doing this, so for those of you that aren't familiar with it, and I'm sure many of you are, um, you know, it's a virtual dissection table. So you've got a full body on there um, that's been uh, CT'd and then it's been color rendered and you can basically virtually dissect it with your fingers. You can scroll up and down. I mean, one of the beauties is, as I refer back to the the kind of instruction manuals that we have, when you get three, three uh, points down and realize you've cut too deep, you just press back and it puts it back for you. You couldn't do that in the days so, of the dissect. So it's like a, I mean, it's 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 a touch sensitive touch screen, isn't it? And so it's, it's basically like a an iPad the size of a pool table. Might be one way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, I describe it as an operating table sized iPad. Yeah, and that and that's it. And so you can you you know you can turn the body upside down. You can flip it back to front. You can cut through it in any direction: oblique, transverse, mid sagittal. You know, wavy line. If 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 you know you want to move around structures, and then whatever structures remaining, you can orientate them you can view them from 360 degrees round and it really immerses you in it uh, within it and as i say you know you can build things up and down you can and the beauty of this is you don't need a lab manual because you can turn the labels on and it you know so you're trying to find the splenic artery and splenic vein differentiate between the two well you know you can label it up or if you're you know if you want to push your students you can set up a spot exam with it and and, and get them to work around it and, and, and figure things out so you know it's I'm I'm trying to make sure our students know a reasonable amount to make them competent doctors about everything. You know, if they want to be surgeons, then they'll get the opportunity, you know, to to learn that immersive tactile um, approach to to anatomy at, at later dates. But you know, if they can work their way through the vasculature of the abdomen, they know all the vessels and they can work them out by a process of elimination. I think you know that's that's helpful for them. I'm not saying it's the right or wrong way to do it, but it's about equipping them with the knowledge to enable them to go on and be whatever speciality in in, in medicine they want to be. Yeah. Uh, 
I was just going to touch on, you know, ultrasound. I mean, that's kind of the latest revolution in, in anatomy teaching. And I'm not sure why, why anatomy teaching is kind of so late to the table with it because ultrasound's been about for, for, for years. Um, and it's, you know, non-invasive and uh, non, no radiate, no, no ionizing radiation. It's mobile. Uh, you know, you can take it to the patient. You don't have to take the patient to it. Um, and so it's becoming more and more available, available in primary and kind of tertiary care settings. And, and so that's one of the things we're trying to do is make our students not only competent in learning, knowing their anatomy by ultrasound, but being able to, to use it competently. So the day that they walk into their clinical practice, you know, they're competent and, and confident in interpreting ultrasound you know even the basics of working out which way the probe is 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 positioned and you know what happens when you switch between uh, an oblique a transverse or a you know a sagittal section is 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 useful for them yeah i think um yeah that's a really good point that ultrasound is is getting i mean increasing interest in using it more at the patient doctor interface rather than being referred to you know ultrasound departments and x-ray departments and it being much more near patient but we simply, certainly, the, the part of the problem might be there's a generation of us who just look on ultrasound as a slightly dark art still. And it's, you know, a dark art in a snowstorm kind of view yep. that we don't know what's going on. But you, obviously, if students are going through and learning at this stage, then I'd like to think they'd be much more willing. You know, my wife's a vet and they have ultrasound just in the clinic and they use it all the time. And you're, yep. we see it appearing in places like A&E where they kind of start to use it for much more acute. Um, sure. And it's got, it's got enormous potential. I mean, yeah, you, you describe it as a snowstorm. I often describe it as 50 shades of gray and a bit more, you know, it's, <laughs> if, if, if you've got black and white, you know what it is. And and then there's, you know, these dozens of shades of gray in between that you've got to try and work out what it is. It is, it is very much a, a moving, a moving gray or black art to, you know, to, to, unless you've had kind of formal training, it's, it, it, it can be quite a daunting prospect, but everybody else is using it. I, I just don't understand why kind of we're, so late in adopting it given the huge potential that it has but you know yeah. as you say we're moving forward at a pace with it so um it's one small point is that i didn't know what took me forever to work out what fascia was as a medical student and i kind of I, I, it was fascinating that you mentioned it because i was like you, you say i was like what the hell is fascia it was exactly yeah. my experience in the first six months of doing anatomy and dissection it took me an age to work that out um, and it's uh, there's a, a, a it's an important point that leads us into what you understand what the public understanding of anatomy is because obviously I was just a member of the public when I started, and fascia was like a mystery subject. Uh, we weren't necessarily we're not necessarily aiming at getting the public to understand what fascia is, but actually the public understanding of anatomy is really important for all sorts of reasons. And I know that this is an area that you're doing some work on. So I, I'm very keen on, um, you know, my role as a, as an academic is, you know, to, to educate people, whether that be students. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, you know, employed to, to teach or, or, you know, even just having a conversation with somebody. And, and I do quite a lot of engagement work. And one of the things I found out, you know, just something as simple as taking a microscope with a, you know, a, a slide uh, into, you know, into a public space or into a school and then taking plastic models with us. And it's actually, I mean, it's eye opening what people will divulge to you you know you, you come in you, they come in you've got a model of you know just a bony model of the knee out on the table and all of a sudden they're telling you, you know that they've had an operation and they've had something replaced or they've had something trimmed or you know they've had an acl repair um and what they want to do is they want to find find out more and and you know i've i've learned things about people that i wish i'd never learned you know the, the <laughs> when you realize that you're an anatomist and you understand the body they begin divulging things to you that you're like oh my word i can't 
in the same light kind of thing. Um, but it was in, in undertaking all this, it was becoming clear to, to me and, and to one of my colleagues that actually people don't know anywhere near as much as I think we, we assume that they do. And that's, you know, that's not, that's not a slight on them. That's just that, you know, why would you need to know about the body if you work in a non-anatomical field? Okay. You know, but the, the comeback to that is we all have a body and we should probably know a little bit about it. Cause at the end of the day, something's going to go bang or, or, or fail on us. And we need to make a decision about how to address that. Um, so one of the things we did in on the back of this kind of early engagement stuff was actually design a questionnaire that we could hand out to participants if they were interested at, at public engagement events. And so we, um, we gave the, we, we went through the process of designing the questionnaire, getting our, our ethical approval in place to do this at our engagement events. And then we took them along to the engagement events, set up a little stand where people could um could, you know, interact with our models and things, have a look around, use our 3D projector of the human body. And then uh, if they were interested, they could go and go and take this quiz anonymously. We collected five bits of demographic uh, data and they stuffed it in a box. And and so we asked them to basically label 20 structures or organs within the body on a blank outline of the human body. And um, you know, we got just under 70, I think it was 67 uh fully completed uh, response sheets and and the results were um i think you know eye opening would uh for it to to get anatomical about it eye opening would be a, a good a good way to describe it um and so we we published this in in 2017 in in anatomical sciences education um and you know we asked for things that were uh, we considered to be fairly common either in terms of you know everybody's heard about the heart and the eye and the cornea and the eye and the brain down to things that we know cause problems like the um appendix or the gallbladder um you know thyroid pops up and time again and then we put some muscles and, and musculoskeletal structures on there that you know if anybody watches sport or any kind of sport you know you've heard of things like biceps triceps quads hamstrings cruciate ligament for instance you know these are all these are not these are not things that are, you know, we're not thinking about, you know, obscure musculature in the, the neck or the pharynx. We're thinking about things that pop up on TV week in, week out. And so we we gave them these um, questionnaires to fill in. And I mean, I'm happy to give you some of the some of the well-performing things and some, some <laughs> of them not so good. Yeah, go on and tell us. I mean, so in percentage terms, I mean, it's reassuring that 100% of response, uh, participant responses correctly identified the brain in the in the correct anatomical location. You know, is, is it going to go downhill from here though? <laughs> it's going downhill from here, I'm afraid. Yeah, uh, and so like, so for instance, for the cornea, which again is relative, you know, everybody's everybody knows a little bit about the eye. You know, the the average response for that was about 94%. Again, we we figured that would be a hundred percenter, and then biceps, triceps performed pretty well. Thyroid performed pretty well. Lungs was at about seventy percent, which you know you begin so, to think surely. Where else would people think they were? I, well, that I mean, if you know the answer to that, we can do the next. We can. <laughs> do the next paper. But it, you know, the lungs scored better than the cruciate ligaments, the bladder, the quadriceps, the hamstrings, and then the heart. You know, the average for the heart was about sixty percent. Of respondents identified it in its correct put it in its correct location so, so where do they tend to go with the heart uh, too far left too far down okay um you know that's that's thing and then the, the worst performing things so about 20 percent of people less than 20 percent of the people got the spleen just over 20 percent of people got the gallbladders the gallbladder in its connect location and then the adrenal glands again was about 20 percent. and the adrenal glands i mean 
you, you, you understand the kind of logic that people work through adrenal glands they must be in the neck everybody was going for the adrenal glands in the neck you know it's um and then we we, we kind of split them down by males and females into their responses um and so you know we uh, one of my co-authors who's who's much better with numbers than i am uh, did some um some statistical analysis of this and kind of the peak the peak age of the sorry the peak age for knowledge is 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 round about 40 but the actual the it's kind of a double peaked uh, response um in that you know knowledge seems to peak about 20 and 50 um and then in between it, it drops down but on average it's around about 40 the the highest the highest response rate and i you know we just wondered whether this was because people you know through your 20s you you know you you're going through life you're you're growing into your 20s you're growing and then you're making decisions about you know having children not having children you know um and then when you get to kind of 40s and 50s we've got old age to begin to look forward to things start to wear and tear fall off break down mm -hmm. and you become slightly more aware of, of of what's going on in and around the body and perhaps you know that's and then it kind of drops off again as you get into the latest kind of decades 70s and 80s and is it by that point you know are you really worried about things wear and tear and dropping off you know um that you know we, we were just postulating around that I suppose, um, I suppose that could be more a generational thing though as well couldn't it those older ones at that point could have just had less exposure to that you know way, yeah. ways to find out about that kind of thing in their earlier years Absolutely. I mean, that was one of the things that everybody came back and said, you know, with with regards to what we were doing in the in in these public engagement events, and they said, you know, we wish we'd had access to this when we were at school, or you know, mm -hmm. where can we go to get involved in more and and more and more anatomy teams at different institutions are doing more and more public engagement because there's a real demand for people to know more about their body. I mean, as I said before, we've all got one. We've all got to look after it. And everybody's got a story about a bit of their body that they want to tell, Adam, as you've already said. And it's the same as being a doctor that people can't. And, but it's perhaps it's almost more of a safe space anatomy because it seems somewhat sometimes it's a bit neutral, that kind of. I'm, I'm not surprised you get a lot of um, comments. I, I, I think this is an incredibly important area because there's. I've said this umpteen times in this po podcast. There's a curse of knowledge problem that we know where everything is, and you forget yep. what you don't know. You forget what you didn't know when you were before you started studying, before we were involved in these kind of professions. Yep. And yet it's incredibly important when it comes to interacting with people that we're on the same sort of, you know, we're at, we understand where we, each other is in terms of our level. Um, so that we can yep. speak to each other, have effective conversations. If as a doctor, you're blithering on about someone's gallbladder or it's a problem with their adrenal glands and they haven't got the, you know, they, they've got a really different view to you on where on earth they think those are. There's real potential for, you know, people to get really the wrong, potentially get really misled and get the wrong idea. Sure. It's really important. And when it comes to any kind of health and fitness, perhaps anatomical science is maybe a really important gap for people to fill in. I mean, just just go to go back to the study. We we asked people if they'd uh, one of the pieces of demographic info we asked was whether they'd uh, visited a healthcare professional in the last seven days. We didn't ask the reason why or or which profession, but thinking, well, you know, if you've been if you've gone to the GPs, if you've gone to see your GP because you've got an issue, whatever that issue might be, surely you're going to go away and consult. You know, you'll know you'll know this famous doctor, Doctor Google. Yeah. You know, if you're going to go away and, and you know consult Doctor Google, surely you might fare slightly better in our quiz than those people who haven't consulted a professional in the last seven days. And we found no, you know, people scored no better had they had a healthcare appointment in the last seven days, visited a healthcare professional in the last seven days versus those that didn't. Um, and so I, I think you're right. You know, I think there's a there's there's a, a 
communication block or a, a you know a, a misunderstanding of the understanding that we think people who who don't use this knowledge and and and, and language on a day-to-day basis have and you know I, I just wonder if we should be doing more to try and get things like anatomical basic anatomical learning into you know primary and and, and and high school curricula i mean it's all very well people having need you know knowing the difference between dna and rna but realistically you know mm. is it going to help you when you've got you know sh- sharp stabbing pains radiating from your left arm into your neck probably yeah. not but you know <laughs> would it would it would it help you know would it help to know that that's probably not a good sign to be kind of sitting around at home hoping it passes by itself and actually it's linked probably to something problematic with your heart and you should be on your way to uh, A&E pronto you know that's yeah. you know that i think there's, there's 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 education to be done on that and um you know that's something that we're we're moving forward with and uh you know we <laughs> we've um we've we've adapted this slightly and i think you 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 kindly sent out a link to the 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 follow-up study that we've just done uh which closed last monday so we we adapted the original study you know the reviewers reviewer two as usual it's always reviewer two um the original paper came back and said you know this is very uk sent you know and that's fine I, you know nobody's got funding to fly off to the states and i hand out a few questionnaires uh, to get data so we've teamed up we teamed up with a, a very a very generous and clever group of people from the university of oxford called the zooniverse who who have a, a citizen science platform we put the study online um we expanded it slightly to to incorporate a couple of additional um organs and structures so things like the prostate and and the rectum for instance we were added in um and and try and get as a real global perspective on on public understanding of anatomy and uh, and so that closed last money and we've uh, we've now got the data for that and um i need probably about two solid weeks to to, to flick through it all but you know we, we've got people from the arctic and australia all the way down to places like zambia and zimbabwe that have that have answered it uh, i can tell you the mean age of participants was about 37 and a half years old but that's the only data i've really been able to analyze but i think that you know that's going to give us a similar message um you know and uh, and, and really enable us to make some kind of strong case for for anatomical knowledge and and and, and how we might uh, you know how we might benefit from that. Um, you know, I think um, you may have seen the TV ad a couple of years ago. I think it's twenty three years ago now in twenty sixteen about from prostate cancer research you know the the kind of stereotypical young lad sits down with his dad who's about to go out golfing and says we need to have a discussion. You know, you you, you get into that age where things might not be working so well, you know, adult nap time may not be so comfortable anymore. You need to go and get your prostate checked. And, you know, his, his dad's kind of, you know, looking as if to say, what on earth are you on about? Um, and, and part of our kind of background reading into our study was, you know, looking for data that suggested people don't know as much about the body as, as possibly would be helpful for them to do so. And, you know, they, 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 they surveyed about 2000 men and, and 50% of men didn't know where the prostate was. 17% uh, were unaware that they had one, and and only eight percent actually uh, knew the function. Well, you know, prostate cancer kills uh, one one male about every every forty five minutes. If you don't know that you've got a prostate, then how are you going to be looking out for the warning signs for it? So I think you know it's it's about it's about helping people to to look after their bodies and make informed decisions. And I think you know there's a lot of work to do on that. Yeah, the prostate one's interesting because we had an episode just recently all about the prostate and I didn't actually cover it at all. And I, but I was thinking it because I'd spoken to you at that time already that I wonder how many people are listening and would actually be able to stick the proverbial pin in the, the map man on the prostate 
which sounds painful to be honest. It's not not a great image that the um, but that, that is that only and so that's really interesting. You've given that fifty percent of blokes probably know where their prostate is. Seventeen percent would deny knowledge of having one. Yeah, which is quite worrying, isn't it? That certainly reduces your chance of taking action. I would suggest. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so this study we've just closed. Um, we we've we've had north of eighty one thousand responses. So you know, it's a it's a, a significant data set to 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 analyze. And I suppose you know, it'll be interesting to see whether those who identify as being male or female are better at identifying the prostate. You know, that yeah. that would be be really interesting. But it's it, I, you know, I'm I'm really excited to, to kind of delve into this data. But with all the demographic information and um, you know, each each of those north of eighty one thousand people uh, responding to at least 24 things i think i've got about 4.7 million data points to analyze and and kind of make yeah. a story out we're just it just goes so you've started small with the kind of the questionnaires but actually you've gone massive now in terms of that i just say that's a i'm really looking forward to seeing the results of that yeah, I, I think that you know, and there's a, there's, I think, well, I'm, you know, I'm hoping we'll get a high impact paper out of it, and and you know, we'll get some good good media coverage off it. We've got a really diverse demographic group. You know, we've had we had various media outlets cover it in 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 the release, and I think that's helped kind of spread the you know spread spread the the study to get as as big a representative population not just in the uk but globally so yeah i look forward to sharing that in, in due course yeah well um i think i better let you go in a minute to go and start analyzing it <laughs> you got your work cut out but before we go one thing i want to ask you is there any um any if you were a member of the public and i don't know if i didn't ask you this before would you point them towards any particular anatomical resources if they wanted to get their anatomy brushed up i'm not sure where i would suggest sending somebody and it wouldn't be something you'd necessarily think about yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 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 a really good, a really good question, actually, and uh, something something um, that I, I don't have a definitive answer to. And I think this is this is this is one of the problems that we face going forwards in terms of educating people who want to know but don't have access to the resources, say members of the public. You know, so there's two problems. There was a study out two weeks ago that identified that there is a global shortage of anatomists. Yes. Um, you know, so we can't get enough to fill the the places to educate the healthcare professionals. You know, and 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 and, and people who are you know where, clinical education, etc. Um, so you know, getting people to do that, and then trying to find people who can also who spend time educating the public. So that's one one of the challenges. But the other thing is, if you've got no knowledge of of anatomy. And no knowledge of the kind of context, the size, the scope, the scale, the relationship. It's difficult to point people to resources without having somebody who can give them input and guide them along the way. And we find this with with medical students when they first come to learn, you know, they're going away and they're looking at, uh, you know, every resource possible on the Internet. And they come back with, you know, 40 different versions of things. And then you have to say, well, you know, is this a reputable source? Oh, well, I just came, clicked on the first 20 things that came up on Google or Yahoo or whatever. Um, and so you know, there aren't any resources that I would recommend, you know, go away and buy this or go away and use that. There are various resources, web resources that pop up time and time again. Um, but, you know, the, 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 there's no one resource to say, you know, this is a, a beginner's guide to, I mean, my, you know, my, 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 my child likes to learn about the body and there's various books and things, but even in yeah, those, yeah. in actual 
sequences and stuff. So it's you know it is really difficult. I haven't got a, I haven't got a one liner that I can fix that with. I'm afraid. No, but that's a very good point that, they, that actually they perhaps don't exist. It's also I think that's Mino's paradox as well, isn't it? That actually the, yeah. you know, how do you learn about something that you don't know what you need to learn about, and that's why you need a teacher as well. And so that's sure. the kind of that's what teachers are there for, isn't it? You can't just learn everything. Um, yeah. There's maybe a case for something like a, a MOOC, a massive online open course or something for, related to. That could be your next project, Adam, after you've analysed all the data. Analyse the data and clone myself, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Adam, I think we'd better wrap it up and let you crack on with all these tasks. Um, tell us a little bit more about where we can find out about your work and everything that you're doing. So, uh, yeah, so as you know, I'm, I'm based at Lancaster University. I've got a profile page um, uh, at the university that details what I'm up to in terms of research. Um, if you want to read more about the the online study that was just closed, please go to the, the zooniverse.org and, and look for where are my body organs. Um, that was the study. You can't, I'm afraid, contribute to it now. It's, it's closed for data collection. Um, but if you want to learn a bit, little bit more about why we're doing it, um, we had the paper out in anatomical sciences um, in 2017, what do the public know about anatomy uh in terms of 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 of, of, of uh, an educational um research paper um i'm on twitter if you want to f- find out what i'm up to on a day-to-day basis i don't recommend it it's pretty boring but you know if, if you're so inclined my twitter handle is adatomy a-d-a-t-o-m-y um and yeah look me up at lancaster if you if you uh if you want to know more. Adam, that's been absolutely fabulous. We'll make sure we get links to all those. And um, you're obviously the perfectly named anatomist as well, um, being an Adam. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Ewan. All the best, mate. Okay, well, thanks for listening. You can find the full show notes at www.blocology.io. You can also sign up for the newsletter, the Journal of Blocology at www.blokeology.io forward slash journal. Sign up and I'll make sure that I send you the Healthy Bloke Action Plan. It would be enormously helpful if you've enjoyed the show, if you've got anything out of it, if you could pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review or just leave a rating, that would be incredibly helpful. And any feedback is very welcome. And so you can leave comments, send email, or make contact via Twitter, Facebook, and the usual social media channels all of which can be found at blokeology.io. Thanks again.